Welcome to the Intelligence Download, a podcast from BAE Systems. I'm Ben Tudor. Today we're talking about an element of fraud that's often overlooked. It's easy to become fixated on technological attacks, cyber this and cyber that, and forget that organisations are composed of hundreds of thousands sometimes of entry points to the network that are far easier to hack. I'm talking about human beings and I'm joined here by two people who have a great deal of experience in a field called social engineering. Esme Hayward is a cybersecurity and human factors consultant at BA Systems. After studying um, applied psychology at university, Esme came to work at Applied Intelligence and has carried out work for UK government departments, the European Commission, and clients in the financial sector to help address the human element of cybersecurity. Gareth Evans is a senior fraud and financial crime prevention consultant, and he helps financial institutions shape the way or shape their fraud prevention strategies. He's got over 20 years' experience at some of the UK's leading financial services organisations, including HSBC, Bank One International, and Lloyd's Banking Group. Uh, where he implemented the bank's non-plastic fraud strategy in time for the UK's Faster Payments Initiative. So there's rightly a focus on cyber fraud these days for one simple reason. Any fraud tends to start with a compromise of some sort of information. And if you can compromise information at scale, then you can create more effective frauds that um, go over greater distances and uh, are more effective for the effort you put in. But this is a tactic that's as old as communication itself. Um, so perhaps before we, you know, as we start, it might be worth sort of explaining what social engineering is to the audience. Um, perhaps you'd like to go first, Esme. Sure. Um, so the Oxford Dictionary of Computer Science defines social engineering as the process of gaining access to a computer or network by deception, particularly by persuading users to reveal a password, install a malicious payload, or perform some other insecure action. For example, a user may receive a call from a supposed IT staff asking them for, to perform an insecure action under some pretext. So in layman's terms, it's essentially you're hacking the human. Yeah, sort of hacking our central uh, the cerebral cortex rather than having a go at a bit of technology. Okay, excellent. Um, Gareth, I mean, you've, you've seen this from perhaps the other side of things from a financial institution's perspective. How prevalent is uh, social engineering? How would you define it? Um, well, social engineering is massive. Um, it's probably the easiest part to to hack. It's a lot easier to um, get in touch with a human and um, persuade the human that uh, you are um, somebody in authority and get them to effectively do the fraud on your behalf rather than trying to break through the, um, the technical security pl- that banks have in place. Um, so it is kind of quite a big part of uh, of fraud these days, um, in particular with sort of authorised push payments where um, the criminals go that one step further, not only um, get in touch with the human in order to steal the credentials, but actually persuade the criminals, the humans to, or the victims, to perform the fraud on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we'd, we'll get onto it a bit later. Uh, reverse social engineering was a uh, a, a word I, or a phrase I saw thrown around, which is quite interesting, where you get the victim to effectively defraud themselves on your yeah. behalf. Yeah, exactly. And this is, um, I'm looking at, at sort of, you know, going back in time a little bit, looking at things like 419 fraud um, and a similar sort of um, 
types of fraud, this is effectively confidence tricks, isn't it? It's a yeah. con trick. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's probably the oldest or one of the oldest sort of professions out there. Um, it's it's not that different to when they used to go knocking on doors and pretending to be the gas man or um, or sort of something similar. It is um, getting in touch with people um, and getting their information from them. It's it's playing the person, not playing the machine. So um, hopefully our, our listeners will now sort of understand a little bit and they may even be familiar with some of the tactics that we're about to talk about and, and the idea itself. Um, I suppose one question is, you know, there's plenty of people out there who think, oh, I'm, I'm too smart for that or I'm, I'm street, streetwise enough to, to not fall for this sort of thing. But actually people do. And when we look at sort of personality, our personalities, how do people get past those initial defences? How do our personalities dictate how we succumb to these sorts of attacks? So I think there's a number of different ways that people can be susceptible to social engineering. Um, So people who are known to be quite impulsive can be quite susceptible. Um, There's also research to suggest younger generations can be more susceptible because they're likely to be more impulsive. However, you caveat that actually younger generations might be slightly more aware of phishing tactics and techniques. So there's there's an interoperability sort of point there. Um, and a bit of a trade-off um, around personality versus awareness. But I would say also that we are, as people, we're kind of conditioned into giving information when somebody asks for it. Yeah. Um, if you think about it, um, almost every organisation, when they phone you up, the first thing they do is say, uh, just to check you are who you say you are, can I check some details? Can you confirm your name? Can you confirm your telephone number? Can you confirm your password? Um, etc. So we're so conditioned to giving that information away that when somebody does phone up um, and starts talking, then um, you kind of you're almost answering the, an- the questions before even thinking who they are. We never stop and say um, if. if I don't know, um, a bank phones you up and says, I'm calling from XYZ Bank, can you um, confirm your name? You never say, okay, before you start, can you confirm that you are the bank? Mm. It's not what we do. The first thing we do is kind of answer those questions and then we say, how can I help you? Yeah. It's that uh, sort of uh, impulse perhaps to be, to be helpful to whoever it is you're talking to. Yeah, we're intrinsically trusting and I think we like to believe that other people not malicious um, so therefore you know we're very open to giving information but I think it's a change of mindsets I always use the analogy with online behavior it's a bit like um, on your social media you wouldn't tell a stranger in the street that you're going away on holiday and that your house is going to be empty however we have this bizarre ability to tell the whole world online and take photographs when we're away so it's sort of changing the mindset as we said earlier that the the types of crimes committed haven't changed it's the ways in which that they're committed and I, I guess also that element of thinking before you post sometimes that you know social networks are, are engineered to make us want to share as much information and data as possible with you know that's how they make the money make it make it possible to share as much information as data as possible with everybody yes. when actually that's the last thing you want to do um, there are a couple of other elements as well and I think you know looking back at some of the other tactics that have been uh, used more recently things like phishing and whaling where you know somebody calls up impersonates the CEO and says oh I'm I'm on this business trip we need to close this deal can you transfer this money or this payment to this account and therefore there's a whole bunch of different elements in there as well I guess you know looking at some of the sort of classic for the fear obedience greed and helpfulness um, yeah you can tick off three of those if you call up somebody helpful in finance and say 
it's the CEO here, or you email them and say, it's the CEO here, we need to transfer five million to this account to close this deal, we need to do it right now. You know, there's a strong imperative to do it and maybe not necessarily think and stop and look. I mean, what you have to remember is that these people are very good. This is what they do, and they're very successful, and they make a lot of money out of it. Um, there's no shame in, in uh, being a victim, because they are, are very good. Um, I've got one, uh, one very amusing example, actually, from um, a, uh, a bank that I did some work with. And um, they had a problem online. Um, it had been quite quite uh, well publicized and they sort of um, had their tweets going out uh, sort of um, things happened and this uh, this criminal had set up a, um, a Twitter account and was tweeting um, anybody who was commenting on the official bank's tweets saying hi I'm calling from the uh, from from this bank could you um, give me some information so um, he'd interact call them up get the information and get them to and defraud them um, the customer would then find that they'd been defrauded and call up the bank and say, can I speak to the really nice man I spoke to last time? Um, and, uh, and then they said, oh, he sort of, you know, found out he didn't work there, but they were quite upset that, um, that he wasn't, they weren't able to speak to them because he'd been such a helpful employee the first time they'd spoken to him, they, they kind of wanted to go back in touch with him again. Well, maybe he had a greater incentive exactly. to be Exactly, so, so he had, he had a, a, better, um, a better bedside manner, so to speak, than the actual bank um, <laughs> should have hired him for so, that so they should center. have hired him they should have hired him <laughs> yeah, that's yeah that's quite a challenge really I know, how would you appreciate how do you approach sort of engineering a, a solution to that as maybe as that I think a lot of it is around education and awareness and I think the social media presence versus non-presence is quite a complicated one because it's quite interesting you saying about someone purporting to be someone else. Um, so there's been instances where people have said, you know, I'm going to go on lockdown, I'm not going to have any social media presence, but actually um, a malicious person has then actually purported to be that individual started befriending people that they know they're likely to be friends with and so on and so forth and then trawling a lot of information so I think everything's got to be um, responsible really it's got to be balanced and reasonable and proportionate um, I think you know the main thing is education and awareness really Excellent. Um, I suppose it the the natural question to come out of that is what sort of qualities make a person a prime target for a fraudster if you were to to think of the the person most susceptible to this sort of fraud is there somebody that you know could you paint a a, a portrait of somebody who might be susceptible you know even if only for a short period of time to, to this sort of thing and possibly suggest a, a solution or a, a way they could defend themselves go on well Yes and no. Um, the reality is anybody can be susceptible. Um, some of the tr tricks that they do use, um, they are quite ruthless. So they will often target people in times of stress. Um, and uh, especially with things like um, uh, purchase of properties, for instance, um, there's a lot going on. Um, they'll often um, get in touch and say that the house is falling through, you need to transfer the money very quickly and, and things like that. So they are specifically targeting people at the time when they're most vulnerable because they're maybe not thinking as clearly as they otherwise would. Um, they also target vulnerable people, um, elderly people with mental health challenges, um, you know, they're not good people, so they don't. They can think nothing of, of targeting someone that um, most of us would never dream of of trying to go after. Um, 
but having said that, it's not always um, the gullible or the vulnerable that get attacked. You know, you've got the CEOs of some of the um, the, the biggest companies in the world being um, being attacked and being the victims of this. You've got um, people in finance departments, CFOs, um, who are very successful, who are very clever people, very tech savvy people, who have been um, been defrauded. So there isn't a um, an easy um, well, it's always these people. Therefore, it's something wrong with with them. It's um, it's just luck of the draw, unfortunately. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think you can look at social engineering from a targeted and non-targeting perspective as well. So, your targeted is very much going for the kind of whaling approach, where you're talking about your CEOs looking for uh, you know people who are high value individuals. Versus, you can have a non-targeted social engineering attack whereby they're casting the net, not, the net widely um, to just in the hope of increasing the probability that someone will be tricked and fall for that deception. I mean, if you look at that example I was talking to earlier on, um, they speci- that, that individual or that group of individuals um, specifically looked at a problem that was going on live, uh, looked at the people who were responding to that Twitter. They knew that those people had a problem and were needing to get it sorted and were going after those people directly. So, you know, it is, there's intelligence behind it. They are clever. It's not just, you know, sort of the old conning a granny on the doorstep kind of yeah. kind of thing. I, I suppose there's sort of that, that balance of, you know, people becoming possibly overconfident, thinking it won't happen to me. I know, yeah, yes, I, I know what absolutely. I'm doing kind of thing. They're a perfect target, I'm guessing. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think there's vulnerabilities within our human perception as well um, in terms of it's very easy to miss key in information um and equally we're you know we're busy people you know you're you're doing your job you're you're doing everything going about your business um it's very easy to miss something so there's things called watering hole attacks for example so someone can um create a website that looks like a legitimate um entity and um you are then ending up with a lot of people you know clicking on links which is potentially downloading malicious payloads um so i think uh, sort of advisories having a knowledge of the perceptual weaknesses um and if someone is particularly busy or stressed um all going through a time of um particular significance so moving house or um so on and so forth that can also be quite quite difficult yeah i've noticed um uh, you know over the years sort of pick up things you know looking around the industry there's also a, a tendency for some of the sort of more sort of advanced fee fraud or 419 type scam emails to be laughably bad to contain really blatant errors and it's purely to weed out people who might be just a little bit more uh, aware or conscious of what they're reading in less of a rush or maybe a bit better educated I, I don't know but the idea is to sort of weed out the people who will be naturally a little bit more suspicious perhaps and target those who are in a bit of a hurry or are only skimming their email um, there's some quite interesting tactics there in a sort of a slightly fiendish way. Um, I guess we've covered this a little bit, but we talked about the susceptibility of older and younger generations. Maybe we go into that in a little bit more detail. Um, I'm curious about, uh, yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day and they had, a, um, uh, had an elderly relative who'd been scammed. And um, the relative had said, oh, well, you know, this person said they would do this thing for me and I took them at their word. And there was this sort of, you know, feeling that they should take people at their word and be trustworthy of, of a person's word being their bond and therefore being okay. But it's, 
it's also the younger generations who should be more savvy of some of the perhaps more technologically wrapped tricks that um, that uh, is quite surprising, I suppose. Yes, I, th I think that is true. Um, I think older generations are potentially more susceptible um, because they may be more trusting of individuals um, and because they're perhaps not as technologically savvy, um, they just sort of assume that something is okay. Whereas the flip side is, as younger generations may be more aware of the tactics and techniques out there. However, caveat the fact that they are likely to have a large digital footprint. So there's probably more information out there about themselves, what they do, what their job role is, where they live. Um, so you, you're automatically increasing the vulnerabilities. Marvellous. Um, Another question I have, I suppose, is, you know, we understand, uh, or, you know, the industry understands, or, you know, society as a, a whole understands this whole, this whole fraud typology and this whole use of, sort of social engineering to, to um, uh, get into people's networks, get into people's IDs and, and, and defraud them. But yet these attacks still continue and they're still successful. Um, what can we do to lower the success rate of these sorts of attacks? I think there's a number of different ways that we can approach this. Um, so I think we need a slightly we need to think about the problem in a slightly different way. Um, so for example, if you look at health psychology and treat it as if it's a health psychology problem, um, you may be able to improve the application of cybersecurity policy. Um, guidance and legislation. So if you take a, examples of the old um, smoking campaigns and interventions, if you actually use the same approach as an awareness campaign um, for public awareness, I think that would be really, really useful. Um, I think the other thing that you need to do is um, use, uh, you know, emphasize good behavior. I think you need to be rewarding people when they are acting in a desirable way. So for example, if you have um, phishing tests at work, you know, maybe you need to reward those that are identifying um, the most sort of phishing test emails and things like that. If you can kind of incentivize that reporting is a good thing. Again, I think we need a culture of where it's okay to report. So if you have genuinely made a mistake, you know, being able to report that without necessarily getting too much of a slap on the wrist at work, I think that's also because we all make mistakes at the end of the day. Um, and finally, I think it's about empowering your workforce. Um, whilst humans are often badged as the weakest link, they can in fact be the strongest link and detect things over and above the technology. Um, so again, if you give them the channels and avenues in, in order to um, be able to report um, and have a say, then that can also be very beneficial in preventing such crimes. I guess there's also a stigma attached to it as well. You know, if you, if you get caught out and you get nobbled by one of these fraudsters you probably feel a bit of a fool and there's a bit of a shame associated with it but actually you know they're very sophisticated they're playing to the weaknesses that every human being has and I think as we've discussed here it's, it's the attack surface is every human being uh, on the planet you know everybody can fall for this scam and so there needs to be a bit possibly a bit of the, the stigma taken away from falling victim to one of these things they do happen and they happen very regularly I'm guessing absolutely I think there's a statistic out there that suggests that up to 70% of cybersecurity attacks are actually caused by a phishing, um, phishing attack. So that just goes to show, despite how many awareness campaigns have been and training and everything that everyone's trying to do as an organisation, we are still falling prey to these, um, these tactics. Um, so yes, I think it's, 
it's more about being upfront. It's not, will I be attacked? It's when I will be attacked. Understood. And I think, I know, Gareth, just to bring you in on that as well, and, you know, nowadays when you go in to go to a bank to make a, a transfer, be it online or over the phone, I know I didn't say in branch, but when you go to make a transfer, the bank will sort of say, are you sure that's the right bank details that you're transferring to? Do you know the person you're sending the money to? Did you check it and call them and so on and so forth? There's a little bit of education coming in there, but what else can banks do? Yeah, so I think, like you say, education is important um, and it's, it's vital, in fact. Um, but also, you know, a lot of the bank systems are designed to know that you are you and they're very much geared around, um, am I confident that you are who you say you are, they're not necessarily designed around, are you sure that you're doing what you should be doing? And it's maybe getting a little bit smarter at not just verifying that you are um, the person that you purport to be, but that you are doing what you're doing with the full understanding um, behind that. So I think that is something that we can get better at. Um, I also think that we can get a little bit better at... um, verifying who the person is that's that's making the that's asking the questions um maybe sort of finding a way of of proving that the bank is the bank um or encouraging people to not answer the questions on the phone but to call back and um verify the information um things like that that sort of that that would probably help fantastic Okay. Well, Esme, Gareth, thank you both very much indeed for your thoughts. Um, don't forget to tune into our next podcast, which is also going to involve uh, Esme and I talking to Rob Clifford, who's one of our data and privacy experts. Uh, if you'd like to take part in this conversation, by the way, don't forget you can go to um, the Intelligence Network website, which is at basystems.com forward slash the Intelligence Network to find out more and to sign up to the network itself. Many thanks for listening to the Intelligence Download. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes, Podbean, or your favourite podcast app.